We pray, Holy Spirit, You would do that very thing. Help us to see what You want us to see. For it's in Your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. A verse not probably not unfamiliar to you. Chapter 2 of Luke, verse 11. Angel proclaiming something, and the angel says, For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's enough for one Sunday, one verse, for sure. In his magnificent coach, driven by four wonderful horses, Charles Jennings would ride to town from his county seat. An impressive, he was a well-known figure. And on Saturday... August 22nd in 1741, he brought a scrapbook with him to a man named Handel. In his small study, Handel opened this collection. This collection was called the Messiah. This man said to Handel, he said, could you make an entertainment out of it? And as soon as Jennings had left, Handel started reading the text he'd received. And the words Handel noticed were all taken from the Bible. But in arranging the quotations, Handel felt Jennings had outdone himself. And it seemed the words seemed to sing for themselves. And Handel started writing at once. He wrote so fast that the ink scarcely dried on one page before he started another. And the score was covered with splotches. But Handel didn't even notice that. It seems he forgot the whole world around him. He said, whether I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know when I wrote the Messiah. And for 24 days he remained in this little front room. Servants came and brought food. He hardly ate any of it. And as he continued to write, tears began to fall on the page, mingled with the ink while he penned the notes. Once a servant came in and found Handel weeping, on the pages he had just finished the hallelujah chorus I thought I saw heaven before me Handel told his choir boys and the great God himself the Savior became real to him it seems Christmas doesn't pass and rightfully so where in auditoriums and sanctuaries that wonderful piece called the Messiah is sung where hallelujahs are are rung from the rafters And yet, if you were to ask a fair amount of people, I think many would not even know what Messiah means. Such a great song, such a powerful song, but what does the title Messiah mean? might surprise you to know that Messiah, the title itself, is only used four times in all of Scripture. In the Old Testament, Daniel 9, verse 25 through 26, we read two of those times. This prophecy from the hard-hitting prophet Daniel, he writes, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in the times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And he goes on to explain the prophecy a little more. Messiah. John chapter 1, verse 40. In 41, we read of it again. He found first his brother Simon, 
this is Andrew, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. And in John chapter 4, verses 19 through 26, read about Jesus' encounter with a woman by a well. This woman said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet, and our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you people claim the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said, Woman, believe me, hour is coming when neither is this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You shall worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we do know. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. Messiah. What does the title mean? It really helps us at this point to, uh, to engage in a long word called etymology, which really means a word study. Notice in each case in John where we read Messiah, we also read a phrase that says either means Christ or called Christ. Why? Because the Greek word for Christ is Christos, but it's translated from a Hebrew word, Mashach. Mashiach. It's a weird word, but it's an important word. The word Mashiach or Messiah and Christ are synonymous terms. We say Christ often and rightfully so. They share a common definition. The definition being the anointed one. And to understand this a little bit greater, we need to consider what Mashiach, what it meant and what it was used for, especially in the Old Testament. This word Mashiach is found 140 times in the Old Testament. Actually, Mashiach is the root word. Mashiach is actually the word specifically which refers to Messiah. And most frequently, the word meant, well, actually most always the word meant to smear, to anoint, to spread. It was frequently used in ceremonial induction into leadership. It was an action which involved the pouring of oil from a horn upon the head of an individual. And three types of leaders were anointed in the Old Testament. Prophets were anointed. By example, Jehu anointed Elisha in 1 Kings 19.16 puts it this way, Elisha, you shall mashak as prophet. You shall anoint him as prophet. It wasn't just prophets that were anointed, so were priests. Exodus 28, verse 40 through 41, Moses was commanded by God regarding Aaron and his sons. And God said to Moses, you shall mashak them. You shall anoint them. It wasn't just prophets. It wasn't just priests. It was kings who were also anointed. 1 Samuel 16, 12 through 13. God told Samuel regarding David, Arise, Samuel, and mashak him. Anoint him, for he's the one. And so Samuel took the horn. And the Scripture says, mashaked him. Well, so what, you might think? He was, they anointed prophets, they anointed priests, they anointed kings, so what? What does that all got to do? Well, there's some significant theological implications of that. First is an anointing authorized separation to God's service. 
When someone was anointed, it proclaimed that someone had an authority to serve from God. It was a great honor and a great responsibility. This anointing authorized a separation to God's service. Secondly, though, the anointing ceremony may have been physically performed by a priest or a prophet, but in all of the cases, it was ultimately attributed to God due to the anointing. God was the source or the author of the actual anointing. He was the true anointing agent. Thirdly, divine enablement accompanied Mashach. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David, we read, after he was anointed. The Spirit of God came in connection with this anointing. In other words, the divine enablement accompanied this anointing. The reason the prophets spoke without error was because they were anointed. God had done the anointing. Fourthly, though many were anointed, only one would be the anointed one. Only one. Every anointing we read about of the prophets, the priests, and the kings were a foretelling of one who would be the anointed one, who would be prophet, priest, and king. Mashiach. This anointing spoke to Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. All throughout Old Testament history, Israel waited the arrival of the Messiah, the anointed one. This Messiah was not be an agent of God through whom the destiny of Israel would be fulfilled. Imagine, between the Old Testament, the last voice from God, Malachi, before we read in Matthew, were a couple hundred years a silence where God's people waited for a word from God. They were rebellious, sinful people. They decided and bent on going their own way, and God became quiet. He became silent, and they waited in silence for hundreds of years. They waited for Mashak. They waited for this anointed one. And they waited. It's no surprise in Luke 3.15 when this weird kind of guy, this unique kind of guy came on a scene called John the Baptist. People heard his words and the power of them and this man who was filled with the Spirit in Luke 3.15 says, Now while the people were in a state of expectation, in other words, they're waiting, they're still waiting for the Messiah, wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he might be the Messiah. So we shouldn't be surprised when they heard John come on the scene, heard his powerful word, and wondered if he might be the Messiah. It's great that John the Baptist was quick. He says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. Quit looking at me. I'm just a voice. I'm the voice of one calling out in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. I'm making straight the way of what God's going to do. He didn't hesitate. So it was with Andrew, one of John's disciples, as we read earlier, when he excitedly told his brother Simon, we can't fully understand the weight of these words must have been to Simon. We have found the Messiah. Can you imagine Simon Peter? What? You found who? You found the anointed one? The one all the prophets spoke of? You found him? We can't fully appreciate that declaration or that announcement 
And what what's the went through Simon Peter? No wonder he went right away. I wonder if Peter believed Andrew. Well, Jesus himself asked Peter, Who do you say that I am? Peter's answer, you're a Mashiach. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. Peter believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, you might say, okay, Peter declared it. Andrew seemed to believe it. John the Baptist seemed to have an idea of of who Jesus was, but what did Jesus say about himself? Did he say he was the Messiah? Luke 4, 16-21 is to me one of the greatest moments in all of Scripture. I would have loved to have been there. If you sometimes ask the question or when you're sitting around, if you could go to a place in history, where would you want to be? This might be one of them I would pick. He's in a synagogue. He's in Nazareth. was his custom on the Sabbath to go into the synagogue and to read. And on this day, we're told in verse 17 of Luke 4, He took the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened it and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me. Look, there it is. Mashocked me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed upon him, and he began to say to them, listen to this, today this scripture has been fulfilled. What's he saying? I'm the Messiah, and I'm here. A pin would have dropped. This promise, this anointed one, can you imagine being in the synagogue that day? You, you just went to the synagogue to hear the word. You've gone to the synagogue every Sabbath. You've gone to hear the teaching, and all of a sudden on this day, The anointed one says, I'm here. I'm Messiah. And I'm here. What a moment. I I get goosebumps in imagining what that moment must have been like. The Jewish people fervently anticipated a Messiah. It's easy to see why, because of the sheer number of prophecies. Alfred Edersheim declares that there's 456 prophecies about this. He also goes on to say, despite all the labor and care, it can be scarcely be hyped that this list is very complete and very accurate. Genesis to Malachi, reference after reference to Mashiach, the Messiah. There's another great scene in Luke. You find it in the 24th chapter. A couple guys walking along a road going to a town, a little village, a little hick village named Emmaus. Stranger shows up. Says, hey, what you guys talking about? They're like, what, what, you got to be kidding me. Haven't you heard all the things that have just happened in Jerusalem? Your head been in the sand? What, What do you mean, what are we talking about? And they said, We were hoping, we were really hoping that He would be the Christ. And this long-awaited anointed one was walking with them. He had come at last. And He came to bring good news, release 
relief. He came to bring precious gifts only the Messiah, the Christ, could bring. Messiah. The Mashiach, the anointed one of God. Deep theology. Because Jesus came to be the great prophet. The one who pointed us to God. The priest. The one who made a way for us to have a relationship with God. The King of all kings. That's Jesus. That's Messiah. What does that mean to you and me today? Why is this so important? Please remember this this Christmas. Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one. And when we acknowledge Him as Messiah, there's some things we're declaring. We claim Him to be the anointed one when we acknowledge Him as Messiah. When we sing Emmanuel, God with us, we're saying Messiah came to be with us. Visited our planet. We claim Him to be the Anointed One. We claim Him to be prophet, priest, and king. And that there is no other. He alone is the fulfillment of God's promise. He is our Redeemer. And God made sure we would know that He's the One. And He wanted you and I to know that there will be no other. He's the perfect Lamb. The perfect Anointed One. When you acknowledge Him as Messiah, you claim Him to be the Anointed One. When we claim as Messiah, we also declare that our search for any and all other so-called Messiahs has ended. Every time you call Him Christ, you and I are affirming the truth that our search is over. That He is the Savior of the world. That He is the Christ. On the heels of that, when we announce that He's Messiah, we also announce He alone provides us with all we need for lasting satisfaction. Listen, no one can lift you from the deepest despair like Jesus Christ. He alone provides us with all we need for lasting satisfaction. When you acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, you declare, my search is ended. I have found the answer. The answer in Jesus. He's not one of many answers. He's the only answer. He's the only anointed one. In 1 John 2, 22, uh, John says, hey, watch out for those who come and proclaim themselves to be the Christ. Why? Because there's only one Christ and He's come. There's only one. Stay away from those who would declare themselves. Isn't it interesting to know that the one who'd come on the scene in the future and seek to deceive the people is called the Antichrist? He sets himself up to be the anointed one. Why? Because he hates the true anointing one, Christ the Lord. Next time you read Luke 2 11. Please don't forget, today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ, the the Messiah, the Anointed One, the One who came to save, the One who was prophesied in the Old Testament, who all the, the dressings of the tabernacle pointed to, all the feasts pointed to, this Messiah, that's who the baby was. The Messiah. Larry Benton was away from his home one morning in April. 
while he was away, an intruder broke into his home, came upon his wife, Beverly. This intruder violated her. He tied her up and he went into a wild tirade. He went from room to room looking to steal all these precious items. Beverly, through tears, observed this wild action. He saw this man stopping and looking and stopping and pausing. He looked there, he says, I'm committing these crimes because this world is such a mess. And as he was running towards the bedroom again, he stopped. And right outside the bedroom, they had a picture of Christ. And around this picture were the titles of who Christ was. And he stopped and he stared, both at the picture and the claims. As Beverly observed this, she drummed up the courage to say, crime's not the answer, only Jesus is. There's only peace in Jesus. Before leaving, the criminal said, you are a lucky woman. I came here and I plan to kill you. You can thank God that you're still alive. I wonder what you would have done. What would your reaction have been? I wonder what my reaction have been. They were called to the police station to identify this criminal. And they did so. And after much prayer, they felt compelled to ask for an audience with this criminal. And they sat down across the table from this one who had done some horrific things to Beverly. And they shared the love of Christ with him. They shared the grace of God. Beverly shared how she forgave him based upon Christ's forgiveness of her. That's Messiah. That's the difference Jesus Christ makes when He comes into a life. He transforms it. He brings forgiveness and deliverance like no one else. This promised one, this deliverer, this Savior, this King... You see, the title was never meant to be hung on a wall, but embraced in our hearts. That's why when we come to Christmas, it's so significant that you and I understand what's going on and what we're worshiping Christ about. To embrace Messiah, to embrace Christ, is to embrace Him in your heart. I sometimes am amazed by what people will post on the internet. Her name is Melanie. And I want you to hear her words as she cries out. I'm a very hurt person. I use drugs to numb the pain. I believe that God is real. I just wish He could take it all away. I'm so tired of living in addiction. Lord, please help me, I beg you. Or from this man, Mark, who honestly said, I have stage 4 cancer. And I wonder what's next. I have lived such a wasted life. I wonder if there's any hope for me. I doubt it. They're looking for Messiah. They're looking for the one who's mighty to save. They're looking for the Messiah. I believe in this room right now there are some who are still looking for Messiah. Tomorrow you'll go to work and you'll smile and you'll go about your job and you'll wave to your co-workers 
And none of them will know that deep down you're empty and you're lost. Maybe you're like Mark, you got a bad doctor's report. And you're wondering if you too wasted your life. You could be a student, middle school, high school, in the middle of all of them students. And deep down you're wondering, will Jesus save me? Does he love me? As all those students pass by and maybe none of them know your name, none of, maybe none of them say hi, maybe even some of them ridicule you, you wonder, God, do you love me? You need Messiah. You need Jesus Christ because He can forgive you and He can deliver you and He can set you free. I would not be a very loving man if I didn't give you an opportunity to do that this morning. To trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Messiah and your Savior. The Bible says we really do that by prayer. By calling out of a desperate heart out to Christ and calling Him to save us from our sin. I want to allow you to do that. I want to invite you to bow in prayer. And like Mark or Melanie, if you're honest enough in your heart to come to terms with what's really going on, and you know this morning as you sit here that you are lost, that you are not right with God, and you've never called upon Jesus Christ to save you, I invite you to do that right now, this moment, in your heart and prayer to God. Might these words I speak be your prayer? If this is what a decision you'd like to make, not a light decision for sure, to turn your life over, to make Jesus Christ your Lord. Repeat this prayer to, you, to God. He hears you right now. Dear Jesus, I confess I need you. I am so lost. And I am so tired of living in my sin. I hear this morning that you are the Christ. That you are the Savior. And that you can forgive me that you can deliver me. Your Spirit's been speaking to me, and I want to trust you. So I choose this moment to trust you as my Lord and Savior. I give you my life. I don't know all that this means. I pray you'd help me in the days ahead to follow you and to know more of your love and your grace for me. And based upon the promise of the Bible that those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, I thank you for the promise, the truth. I am saved. In Jesus' name, amen.